protecting ourselves and God's holy word, let's focus our attention and our hearts on him and what he has to say to us. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles at the back. Uh, please feel free to use one and feel free to take it home if you don't have one at home. So we're reading Luke chapter 7 and we're starting at verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, leopards are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. But John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. This is the word of the Lord. And let us just pray before Jonathan comes to speak to us. Father, we thank you for your holy word, and we thank you for this passage. Lord, to see John here after successful ministry, disheartened, doubting, wondering if you are who you say you are, and Father, we know all too well that we can often be discouraged and tired and prone to doubt. Thank you that you are big enough to deal with our doubts and always gracious and kind with us when we do. So Lord, help us to be wise and to believe that you are who you say you are. The God whose steadfast love never ceases. The God who keeps all his promises. The God who has redeemed us, has called us by name and made us his own. Lord, would you write it on our hearts that you have made us your treasure and your delight. Father, bless Jonathan as he comes to open up the passage. Keep him from distractions and from attack. May your spirit bless him and may you speak your truth and your love through him. And may your spirit help us, Lord, uh, to listen and to hear your voice. And we ask it for your glory and your kingdom. Amen. Well, good morning to see you all. Um, Andrew's in Washington, D.C. at the minute, so he's visiting uh, some of our supporting churches um, there. 
I think he's preaching today in Redemption Hill and the next week at Reston. So those are um, key supporters for us. They give us a lot of not just money, but their, their love and their, their care and their support. So uh, just be praying for him over the next kind of 10 days um, and just his time with them and his relationships and uh, all that he's to do. So yes, good to be with you. Uh, I just got to say, this is my penultimate sermon before I'm off on a wee sabbatical. So I kind of got that like last week of school feeling. So hopefully you get, you don't get like just the scraps that I have for you today. Um, uh, no, it's going to be good and uh, love you guys. Always good to be with you. Love Jesus, love his word. So we're going to uh, dig in and see what he has for us. And we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke. As you know, uh, we've given the title of this series, well, that title, To Seek and Save the Lost. Um, so that's what Jesus said. That's what he said he has come to do. Um, he says that in Luke 19, verse 10. Uh, so we kind of use that, that verse as a lens for which we kind of read the rest of the gospel through. We, we, we use that, and it kind of governs everything that we talk about in the gospel of Luke. So we, we read this, we understand it through that lens. Jesus has come to seek and to save the lost. Um, and the particular section that we've been in uh, here at the beginning, can you believe we're only in chapter 6? We've got a little ways to go. Uh, we're not going to go kind of nonstop. We'll, we'll kind of take it in, in thirds. We'll take a break over the summer. Um, but the, the section that we've been in has kind of been focusing on the Son of Man part of that equation. Um, who is the Son of Man? Who is the Messiah? Who is Jesus? And we've learned a lot about Jesus' identity, haven't we? Um, and the text we're studying today, this morning, makes a very clear uh, statement about the identity of Jesus, and that is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the long-promised Messiah. We've learned that about him already, uh, and, and Luke is really pressing in on it again uh, today. Uh, the passage, though, it's about a guy called John, and we know him as John the Baptist. We've, we've been introduced to John back in chapter 1. We saw him again in chapter 3, uh, and, and John believed that statement. He believed with all of his heart that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And we'll see this morning that John gave everything that he had to make sure that people knew that, and they heard it, and they believed it. But there's a time in John's life where he doubted, where he sort of hesitated, where John said, all right, I, I've given everything that I have for that statement. I've given my, my freedom for that statement. But there's at least one time in John's life where he, he, he kind of stepped back and he had doubts and he had questions, um, which I must admit is very, it's very comforting to me uh, that, that a spiritual giant like John, like the, the, the prophet of God, um, has a dark night of the soul. The prophet of God here, uh, he, he has a time where he's not quite sure. I've had a couple of those moments in the, in the last year, um, and, and I'm sure you do. You have doubts. You have questions about who God is, about who Jesus is. And there, there's maybe things we talk about in village, uh, maybe on a Sunday morning, or, or maybe something that you kind of discuss around uh, the table in your missional communities that you just sometimes don't know how to handle. And if there's things that you hear preached from the pulpit, or maybe that you read in your own personal study, that you just say, I don't, I don't know how to make sense of that. Um, I, I don't know how to exactly wrap my arms around that. I don't know if I can really even believe that. And to deny that you ever do that is just to be dishonest. And all of us in this room at different times in our life, and not always, we don't always have, are kind of plagued with questions and doubts, are we? Praise the Lord. But there will be seasons in your life 
There will be circumstances that you'll find yourself in where you will have doubts, where you will begin to ask questions. And so it's important this morning to take a look at this kind of glimpse of John's life, this spiritual giant, to see when he doubted, when he hesitated, but then also to see how Jesus responded to him when he was struggling with doubt. Um, so hopefully you have your Bibles open to John chapter 7. I'm going to pray for us one more time and we'll, we'll dig in. Um, Father, we thank you for, um, for your love for us. And you, you, you love us far more uh, than we can ever imagine. As James uh, called us to worship this morning, there's nothing that can separate us from your love, God. Um, I pray, Lord, that, um, that we would be reminded of that today. Um, no matter what we bring into this room, um, no matter what baggage we bring in with us, no matter what doubts that we have, may we leave here today um, a little bit more confident, Lord, that you love us and that you're for us. Um, Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd, you'd help us today. Pray that you would do what I cannot do, which is open hearts and minds and, and impart truth and to transform people. Pray you do that for us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, in order to understand what's going on in this interaction between John and Jesus, we need to make sure we understand who John is. Um, so we want to take a little bit of time here at the beginning. I just want to invite you to kind of walk along with John. Um, we're going to take a, a closer look at him uh, before we get to that question that he asks uh, Jesus. So we're just going to go through and give you some bullet points about who John is. Um, here's a picture of John. Um, that's, that's not an actual picture of John. That's a picture of John from uh, my favorite uh, Bible, uh, children's Bible that we uh, read with our, uh, with our kids um, quite often. Um, he's quite a character. If you grew up in church um, like I did, uh, you might picture John the Baptist when we talk about him. You might picture someone like this guy, like Uncle Eddie. Anyone seen uh, the, the Christmas classic? What's the next, next picture there? Yeah. This is Uncle Eddie. I don't know if everyone had seen Christmas Vacation. Quite a young, young congregation, maybe not. It's a classic Christmas movie. Go watch it. Um, you might picture someone like Uncle Eddie. Uncle Eddie is a guy who shows up and he's, he's awkward and, and he smells and he doesn't really know, you don't really know what to do with him when he, when he shows up. You don't know how to interact with him. I sometimes kind of think of like an Uncle Eddie when, when I think of John the Baptist. Um, when you read about John the Baptist in the Bible, you read about a pretty wild guy, this guy who lived out in the wilderness. Um, he, he wore skins of camel. He wore a, a belt of leather. He ate locusts. That's grasshoppers. Those are bugs. Like the, He ate bugs. He dipped them in honey, so that made it a little more palatable. But he, he doesn't seem to be this kind of normal, your average kind of guy. Um, but there's a lot more to John than just that kind of weirdness, that, that, the oddities of the comic book caricature. And when you read, uh, we were introduced back to him, uh, back, we were introduced to John back in chapter 1 of Luke, uh, where we saw his, uh, his conception and his birth alongside Jesus' conception and birth. They're, they're, they're linked from the beginning that John kind of shows us. Um, Jesus and John were kin. They, they were family. Uh, their mothers, Mary and Elizabeth, were, were related um, we don't know exactly, exactly how, but it makes John and Jesus some sort of cousins. Um, we know that John's birth was a miracle. Um, to uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, his parents were far too old uh, to be having children. Uh, but just like God gave Isaac to Abraham and Sarah when they were elderly, he gives uh, John to Elizabeth and Zechariah. So he's this, he has this miraculous birth. 
We also know that John was tough. He wasn't a pushover. We read that, we kind of picked that up in a lot of different ways through, uh, through reading about him. He lived in the wilderness by choice. He, he didn't enjoy the, the modern conveniences that we enjoy. He ate things, like we said, that we want nothing to do with. Um, you might kind of be tempted to think, well, that's ancient times in, the, in like the Middle East. It's, they eat weird things. They're, they're, they were kind of strange back then. Uh, no, people thought John was weird because of his lifestyle, because of what he ate and what he wore. Um, I think he'd make a great like Netflix series. Have you ever watched like Tiger King? You might be like, hey, have you watched Tiger King? This guy's bonkers. I haven't seen that, but have you seen Locust Eater? Like this guy is wild. He's, he's pretty absurd. Um, Jesus thought he was tough too. Uh, look at what, John, what he says about John in verse 24 and 25 of, of our passage today. He asked the crowds, uh, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out there to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. No. He says, this isn't some elite person who's, who's dressed in splendid clothing, living in a palace. That's, that's not what you went out there to see. And we know that with John was tough, and Jesus actually builds on that. He says in verse 26 that this man's a prophet. He's more than a prophet, actually. He's not just any prophet. He's the last prophet promised in the Old Testament. So that's why Jesus he goes on and he quotes Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and the, these, these prophecies that were, were promising that God would send a prophet before the Messiah to be this kind of forerunner for the Messiah. So Israel was, was longing for this Messiah to come, but what they were looking for is not simply just the Messiah, they were looking for this prophet who would come before him and, and be a forerunner. And Jesus says that John is that prophet. And he sums it all up in verse 28. Jesus says, among those born of women, none is greater than John. He's a big deal. Jesus says that he's a big deal. And you think he's weird, and he is, but he's this spiritual giant. The people of Israel have been waiting for 400 years since that promise made in Malachi. Look at the second half of verse 28. Jesus says, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So the least in God's kingdom, this kingdom that Jesus has come to proclaim and to usher in, the least in that kingdom is greater than John. And what Jesus is saying is that, that John is the last of the old. He's, he's the, the greatest of the old. So if I, if I were to ask you, who do you think is the, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament? A lot of people might say, Moses or Ezekiel or Elijah. Jesus says it's John. We're reading about him at the beginning here in the New Testament, but this is still the old covenant period. This is before the cross, before the, the beginning of the, the ushering in of the new covenant. Jesus is saying John is the last of that old. He's the greatest of the old. He's the last one promised in the old covenant before the new covenant begins. And John is, 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 is looking forward in faith and he's great. He's great in the sense that he sees more clearly than the other prophets. He sees more clearly than Isaiah and, than, and Moses. He sees more clearly than, than Jeremiah. More than any of them, he sees more clearly what God's about to do through the Messiah. He's the greatest that's ever been born in that way. But once you step across into the new covenant and you look back in faith, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's you or me Jesus says the least in God's kingdom, we, we understand more clearly what God is doing through the Messiah than John ever did. So Jesus says 
the, the least in, in my kingdom is actually greater than John. Um, another thing we know about John is he was a preacher. So he, he preached. That was his vocation. He, he talked about the kingdom coming. He, 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 he prepared people for the, God's kingdom that was being ushered in. He talked about salvation. He, he was calling people to repentance, to be part of this kingdom. And when people responded to that preaching, to his message, he baptized them. Hence his name, John the Baptist, or literally John the Baptizer. He, he would dunk them in water, just like we do. And it's this picture that the old person was dead and the new was alive. They had repented of their sins and they're now living in the life following after the Messiah. And, and as a preacher, what was so important, this kind of sums up John's life, is he was constantly pointing people to Jesus. He was constantly pointing people to the Messiah. At times, John would look at his own disciples and say, you need to stop following me and start following him. It's not about me. It's not about my kingdom. He's the one that this is all about. You need to follow him and do what he says. John would say things like, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. Jesus must become greater and I, John, must become lesser. In, in, in John's gospel, chapter 3, John the Baptist, he likens himself to uh, the, the friend of a bridegroom, the, the, the best man at a wedding, essentially. Um, I've been the best man at a wedding. It's actually Andrew's. We're, we're best men in each other's wedding. Um, there's a lot to do at a wedding as a best man. There's, there's speeches to give. There's, there's valuable rings to, to kind of take care of. There's troops to rally. But your job is basically to make sure the groom has a great day. Make sure the groom has nothing uh, to, to worry about because it's his big day. That the day is not about you. It's all about him. And your job is to glorify him in that way. The, the, and the joy that you get from your role as a best man is, is the joy of seeing the groom glorified in that way. And John says, that's what my life is all about. It's not about me. It's about him. And my job is to glorify him. He must increase. I must decrease. John would look at the people that were coming to him and following him, and he would say, I am nothing. I, I don't matter. Follow the Messiah. Everything I'm supposed to do in my life is meant to point people to the Messiah. And as he did that, he fearlessly confronted sin. He, he was fearless in confronting sin. Uh, he, he didn't care who was doing the sinning. He didn't care what kind of sinning it was. He confronted it. Um, so when the tax collectors would come, come to him and ask him what, what they should be doing, he confronted them in their sin. When, when the soldiers came to see John and asked him what he, they should be doing, he confronted them in their sin. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law came to ask John what they should be doing, he confronted them in their sin. And eventually, this got him in trouble because there was a man on the throne in Israel at that time called Herod Antipas. This is uh, the same Herod that eventually got uh, caught up in the execution of Jesus. And when we read about him, uh, he's not the greatest guy. Um, here's what happened, kind of long story short, and this kind of sets us up for what's happening in Luke 7. Um, Herod had, had this brother who lived in Rome. And he goes to visit his brother in Rome, and he, he leaves his family, he leaves his, his, his wife back in Palestine, and he goes to Rome to visit his brother. And while he's there, he meets his brother's wife. And he decided that he'd rather be married to his brother's wife than his own wife back at home. And so what he does is he seduces his brother's wife, and he, he takes her back home uh, to be his new wife. And then when he gets back, he gets rid of his old one, and, and he has a new one now. Great guy. Um, this wasn't a sneaky operation. 
Everyone knew about this. It was public knowledge. And so Mark's gospel tells us that when John the Baptist heard about what Herod did, he confronted him. He said to Herod, you ought not have done what you did do. And what you did was unlawful. It was wicked. It was immoral. You are, this is his message, you're a sinner who needs to repent. And so obviously this bothered Herod, but he, didn't, he couldn't really care less about John. Herod's in a palace. John's this wilderness wacko. But where it did get John in trouble was with Herod's new wife. She didn't like John saying this. She didn't like the, the reputation that he had, she had because of what John was saying. And so John ends up in prison. He, he's locked up because of what he has done. And this is the context, uh, the, the setting for the passage that we're looking at in Luke 7 here. So look at Luke 7, 18 and see how Luke is kind of setting this story up and connecting it with that story. He says the disciples of John, they come and they tell him all this stuff about Jesus, all these things that Jesus is doing. And John calls two of his disciples and he sends them to Jesus and he says, ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And so the reason that John doesn't go and see Jesus himself and speak face-to-face with his cousin and ask him, what's the deal? Are you the guy or are you not the guy? Is because he's in prison. He can't go. He's he's locked up. You read about that in Luke chapter 3, verse 20, and then Mark chapter 6. So John is locked up in prison because he has confronted sin and done that fearlessly. And so he sends two of his disciples to ask Jesus just one question. Are you the Messiah? Yes or no? That's all we're looking for from you, Jesus, is a yes or no answer. John is in big trouble. We don't know his immediate future. We don't know how long he has left. Please just tell him, are you the one or are you not? And Naomi, go back to that list of the kind of character of John the Baptist. I don't know about you, but when I read about him and kind of see his character, when you look at a man like that, you don't expect him to be a person with doubts. You don't expect him to have questions at this point in his life. He is given everything that he has. He is given his freedom. He's doing all of these things for Jesus. He's pointing people to Jesus, preaching repentance. His whole life has been about telling people not to follow him and to follow after Jesus. And now, after all this life, he's sitting in a prison cell, he's in chains, and he's saying, is he the one or not? My life hasn't been a complete and total waste. If he's not who I thought he was, then I am not who I thought I was. My life is a sham. Are you the one to come, or should we wait for another? Why is he doubting like this? Well, he's been preaching this coming kingdom that they've been longing for, which implies a king of that kingdom. But who's the king at the time? Well, John is sitting in his prison. Herod is the king. The Messiah is not. He's been promising, he's been preaching salvation, salvation, freedom. And he's sitting here and he has chains on his wrist. He's in bondage, and it's like he looks around and he says, it's not going exactly the way I thought it would. Jesus, cousin, 
Yes or no? Are you the one who has come, or do we need to look for somebody else? See, this is John's moment of weakness. And he doubts, and he has questions. Here's the best part of the story for me. John's disciples, they show up and they ask Jesus this question. And you almost expect Jesus to, to react in a, like, are you kidding me? Because this is the way I would react if I was Jesus. I would, are you stupid? <laughs> Have you not? What, how, did the, how did it begin? Verse 16, the disciples, it began with the disciples reporting to John all that Jesus had done. Have I not proved it? Have you not seen enough? Have you not seen what I have done? Are you so dense that you haven't figured it out yet? Is it not obvious? Jesus has every reason to jump down his throat, but does he? Did he pound on John in his moment of weakness? Did he criticize him for asking questions? Did he scold him for having second thoughts? No. Instead, look at what Jesus did in verse 21. It says, In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And Jesus said, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to heal this person and then I'm going to heal her, and then I'm going to cast out these demons, and I'm going to give all these blind people their sight, and then I want you to go back and tell John what I've done. But more than that, verse 22, he says this specifically. Verse 22 says, he answered them saying, go and tell John what you have seen and heard, but he adds to that. He says, say this specifically, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, The poor have good news preached to them. And so we can read that and we can kind of imagine the disciples saying, so is that a yes or no? John really needs a solid answer for this one, Jesus. Even a wink, one of these, we nod or something, will do. But but for a man like John, who has built his entire life on the Old Testament, he, he knew the Old Testament. He would have memorized every bit of Scripture concerning the coming Messiah. He knew passages like Isaiah 61. He knew passages like Isaiah 35, these passages that say, when the Messiah comes, here's what's going to happen. The lame are going to leap like deer. The, the, the eyes of the blind will be opened. The dead will be brought back to life. You see, John knew those passages. And so the message sent back to John, it wasn't necessarily a yes or no directly. But for John, who knew those passages, the answer was a resounding yes. I am the one. I love that, that, that Jesus answers him by pointing to Scripture. He points to himself Show him what I'm doing, but see how it's in Scripture. John wouldn't, have, John wouldn't have got it if he didn't know the Old Testament. This is what you're looking for in the Messiah. Show him how I fulfill that. Love how he points to Scripture. Back to John. There's a couple things that he needed to learn These aren't exactly spelled out in the passage, but when you look at his character and you think about the doubts that he is struggling with and you think about the answer that Jesus gave him, here's two truths that John needed to learn, two truths that we need to learn. Firstly, the Messiah came to save you from your sins. 
So that's Luke 19.10 all over again. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, Jesus came to accomplish something very specific. He came in the form of man. Uh, Paul says he humbled himself by becoming a servant. He humbled himself uh, to the point of death, even death on a cross, to do what? To save you from your sins. He came to do that. He has accomplished that. It is done. The second thing John needed to figure out eventually is the Messiah will come to save you from your circumstances. In the West, we tend to get these two truths flipped around, don't we? And we, we, we don't like to think very much about how sinful we are and how badly we need to be saved. And what we really want is for Jesus to make our lives pain-free, easy, comfortable. We forget, like John forgot when he was sitting in his, in his chains, sitting in that presence, prison cell, about to get his head lopped off, we forget that Jesus came to save us from our sins, and he will come one day to save us from our circumstances. I probably don't have to convince you very much of this, but when you look around Northern Ireland, when we look around uh, the rest of the Western world, there are people who call themselves Christians who are deeply offended by these two truths. Offended that you would say to them that you are a sinner and there's nothing you can do to fix it. I, I think most people in our society are probably willing to admit, I'm not perfect. And, but when you start telling them that their situation is hopeless, and there's nothing they can do to change it, people start to get upset. Not that bad. Look at the way I've been trying. Look at my good living life. People are offended at, the, at that idea that they are simply are sinners. I'm not perfect, No. Yes, I make mistakes, but sinner is such a harsh word, isn't it? Lost, such a harsh word. Dead in my trespasses, as Paul says. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? That's too far. People are definitely offended at suggesting that Jesus doesn't want to simply make them comfortable. What else is he there for then? If he's not there to keep me comfortable, to keep me safe, Help me get that great house and that great life. What is he there for? Doesn't he love me? And doesn't that mean I present him with my needs and my wants and he answers all of them? These are offensive truths. And it seems that John had forgotten them in his moment of weakness. And he needed to learn them again. And we forget them, don't we? And we need to learn them again. And here's the thing, if you're not offended yet, then just keep reading John's story. And there's a lot of people that, that do get offended by reading the end of his story, what happened to him, what God let happen to him. You see, John sat in prison, and he sat in prison, and he sat in prison, and then one day he got his head chopped off and served on a silver platter. And that's the end of John's story in the gospel. Why didn't God take care of him? Look at all he had done. And again, to be totally honest with you, Jesus was not surprised that anybody might be offended by these things. Jesus is no fool. 
Things haven't changed in 2,000 years to, to, that, that Jesus didn't see this kind of thing coming and know that uh, it might have been coming. That's why Jesus says in verse 23, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It's like, I know this might not be the answer you're you're, going to like right away, but blessed is the one who doesn't take offense at what I am doing and who I am. I think Jesus knew what lay ahead for John, and he knew he needed to hear that beatitude. I, I think it would have been strength for John as he finished his race. Will you be offended by me, or will you trust me? And that's the point uh, in verses, through verses 31 to 35, where it talks about these kids singing this song back and forth. And he says, look, here's John. He fasts. He, he lives in the desert. He doesn't own anything. He's just this, this radical dude, and you hate him. You think he's possessed by a demon. And Jesus is saying, here I am. I'm rubbing shoulders with people. I'm in the marketplace. I'm going to parties. I'm, I'm interacting with folks. I'm living, compared to John, a somewhat normal life, a pretty popular life actually, and you hate me. You say he's too crazy, but you say I have too much fun. We cannot win with you. He's not surprised that people would be offended by this kind of thing. So here's the real question as we kind of wrap up is, are you offended? Are you offended by Jesus, by what he says, by what he came to accomplish? Are you offended that Jesus would have the gall, that he would have the nerve to suggest that he is the only way to enjoy a relationship with God the Father? Are you offended that Jesus, while he does befriend sinners, he refuses to leave them in their sin? He he calls them, in fact, he demands that they repent. Does that offend you? Are you offended that Jesus might say to some people, you have to give up everything in order to follow me? Or maybe on the flip side, actually, are you offended that Jesus, like John, he might decide to leave some people in less than ideal circumstances? But on the flip side of that one, does it offend you that Jesus would deliver some people from their circumstances and and put them in, in a delightful circumstances and that you might not be one of them? Jesus says, blessed is the one who does not take offense at me. He's fully aware that people are going to criticize him one way or the other. Remember what Simeon prophesied back in chapter 2? Simeon said, this child is going to divide the world. And Jesus is fully aware of that. Here's my hope for you this morning, that you would take a step back from this passage today that you would lay down all your preconceived ideas about who Jesus is. Lay down all your preconceived ideas about what he came to do, what he ought to be doing in your life today, and allow scripture to inform your expectations. My hope for you is that you maybe stop coming to Jesus, stop trying to wrap your expectations around him, and let Jesus be Jesus. My prayer for you is that you would understand Luke 19.10, that he came to seek you, and he came to save you while you were lost. That you would believe 
and that you would rest in the hope that one day he will come and save you from your circumstances. I don't know what your circumstances are today. They might be fantastic. They might be terrible. But deliverance is coming. Whether it's financial issues, whether it's relational issues, whether it's emotional issues, physical issues, deliverance is coming. It's coming, and it's coming soon when Jesus returns. It might not be exactly here now. It might be, not be exactly the way you think it might work out, just like John was sitting in that, in, that, in that prison cell. But deliverance is coming when Jesus comes. My prayer is that when you face doubts, not if you face doubts, but when you face doubts, you wouldn't just sit back and, and listen to yourself, but you would listen to Jesus. Are you the one to come, or should we look for somebody else? It's an okay question to ask. John asked that question. I've asked that question. But what does Jesus say? I'm the one. You don't need to look for somebody else. I am the one. You can be offended by me, or you can trust me. And with me, we'll pray. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and just take a moment to, to reflect, to examine your own heart. Maybe examine the, the circumstances that you are in at the moment. Maybe they're fantastic. Maybe they're less than fantastic. Maybe they are, you're just in the lowest pit. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God right now. What are your fears? What's the source of your anxiety? What are you longing for that you just can't get? And then listen to Jesus. Says, look at who I am. Look at what I am doing. And see how that fulfills the scripture. I am the one who is to come. Would you trust me? I've come to seek and to save you when you are lost. And I will come again and turn your circumstances upside down. Will you trust me? And Father, we, uh, we want to end by declaring we thank you for your love. Thank you for your love that we have done nothing uh, to earn. This love that we don't deserve, that you have placed upon us simply because you've chosen to. What grace you've shown us, Jesus. What favor you've shown us, Jesus. 
Lord, I pray that you would, you would help us in our weakness. Help us when we doubt. Thank you, Jesus, that you know all of those trials deeply, personally. You know our weakness. You've walked through it all. You have triumphed on the other side. We thank you that, that sin and death has been defeated. Oh Lord, we, we see you through that, that window dimly. We need your help, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd, you'd apply this morning who are in deep pain, who have fears, who have anxieties, who have struggles, who have worries. Jesus, I pray that they would hear your voice, your call to come to you, to receive that rest, to lay your worries with you, trust you. And we confess that's not always easy. We thank you for our church, Lord. We thank you for our brothers and sisters. We speak truth to each other in love. We bear with one another's burdens.